need a bathroom break. Now's the time. Otherwise, no, I'm we're good. powering through. I'm good. I peed before I got here. Or no, peed when you got here. That's what I meant to say. God, I'm a gong show. A little bit. Welcome to the newest episode of Rabbit Holes Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Elise. And I'm your other host, Andy. And welcome to our Halloween special. Spooky, spooky. I think when we did our Halloween episode last year, I was still really like gung-ho on the whole editing thing. And I underlaid creepy, royalty-free music underneath it. So I think I might have to either do that again this year or we let it go. I don't know, man. (laughs) Whatever you have time for. Yeah, I was going to say, we'll have to see how it feels when we get there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, Halloween episode. Time to scare the pejesus out of ourselves. Ooh. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah. Uh, any updates? Life updates? I just gave one. It's your turn. Oh, it's my turn. Yes, that's right. Uh, life updates. Nope, nothing I want to share because it's not been a great couple of weeks for your old pal. So... <laughs> Cha-cha-cha. <laughs> Trying to hold it together and not cry. <laughs> Who's put on a smile has two thumbs? This girl. This girl. <laughs> Who resents having to put on pants at all these days? This girl. Funny story. Not about <laughs> pants, but, you know, part of that, like, going out in public is putting on a bra. Right. So yesterday I was doing running around for the house, and I'm standing in Sherwin-Williams getting my paint samples. Uh-huh. And I had a front closure bra on why like beyond a training bra every woman knows not to get a front closure bra it's very pretty usually very comfortable however because you only wear it for five minutes and then it's taken off of you by someone no it's not that pretty okay <laughs> um but i guess i didn't have a clip clasp all the way and i was wearing this sort of not body calm but kind of tight like thicker that blue sweater dress that i've okay, had for yeah, a couple yeah. years that i love so I'm talking to the guy, and he's shooting the shit as he's doing, like, my 10 million paint samples. And I can feel it pop, and then slowly start to slide to the side. Oh, boy. And I'm just like... I'm not coming on to you, Mr. Paint Guy. <laughs> That's just like, happening. Here. I don't think anybody could notice, because, again, mm. it's like a kind it's of thick. tight, thick shirt. But I could feel it yeah. slowly give way, and it's just a really unsettling feeling. Yeah. The only one I ever had was literally a training bra, and we went to my dad's friend's place for, like, an afternoon, and I had to keep running to the bathroom to redo the clasp. It was we were still in Toronto, so at most nine, and I learned my lesson, and the lesson has stick, stuck with me for over 20 years. Front closed bras, Satan's work. <laughs> this one has never done that before, and I've had it for a while, but uh, yeah, I have also a bra that's a black back closure that should be a front closure, because it's a pain in the ass to get on. But yeah, that was my, like, moment of terror of, like... That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> it's also because it was a, it's a long dress. So it's not even like I could like put your hand in there and like, you know, discreetly. Like I had a to towel neck too. So yes. Hot. Yeah. yeah. So I had to like wait till I got in the car and then like shimmy my dress up over <laughs> myself. And it was just a disaster. <laughs> Pretty much par for the course for my week. But. So here's your PSA, ladies. No front closure bras okay. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, speaking of horrors, I think it's time we dive into our spooky Halloween stories. Yes. And you went first last week, which was five minutes ago, so we should yep. both be well aware. <laughs> Took a minute. We got there. So that means I'm going first this week. Yes. <clears throat> so tell me your scary story. Okay. So you told me what you were doing, like, two or three weeks ago, and I thought to myself, damn, that's a really good story, and I wish I'd been <laughs> smart enough to think of it and call dibs on it. <laughs> So I decided I had to step up my game and find a really creepy slash scary topic to compete. And I think the scariest thing has to be pure evil. So I'm going to be looking at the devil and the times he's been thought to have interacted with mankind. Mm, Scariness. You need that devil's note. There's a devil's note? Yes, there's a devil's note. I'm not a music person, dude. Like, you can't look at me like that like I'm crazy. But it was banned... By the church in like the 11th century because it was the devil's note. It's okay, we're gonna have to do some research after. <laughs> Maybe next week I'll be doing the devil's note. Yeah, please do. <laughs> I need more of this. Okay, so disclosure for my story I'm talking about the devil as if he is a real person. Uh, if that's not your bag, uh, and I don't think it's mine, don't at me. I get it. But for the people that I'm going to talk about today, the devil is very much real. And I spent a lot of time on a lot of blogs and a lot of websites where the devil is very much a real person and thing. So my... But I appreciate how the devil's a man. Yes. Uh, except in for The Passion of the Christ, the movie, where the actress was a woman playing the devil. But it was Mel Gibson's movie, so I don't think any of us should be surprised with that. Mm-hmm. Also, my cookies and browser history is going to bring up some real weird results in the targeted ads for the next little while. I can't wait to see what they bring up. (sighs) So, other than our collective exes, who is the devil? He's also known as Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, and a very real plethora of other names, depending on who you ask. So the devil in Western culture has his roots in the Bible. Duh. There are two passages in the Bible that speak about who the devil is, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. Old Testament bitches. That's where it comes from. Mighty, vengeful God. Angry God. Uh, the one most linked to the story of Satan, however, is the Ezekiel one. The passage describes a king of Tyre, but it's more of a heavenly kingdom than an earthbound kingdom. And Satan isn't really a human, but rather an angel. So from Christianity.com, Which, this is where the cookies are going to be a problem. (laughs) Satan is, quote, portrayed as having a different nature from man. He is a cherub. He had a different position from man. He was blameless and sinless. He was in a different realm from man, the holy mount of God. He received a different judgment from man. He was cast out of the mountain of God and thrown to earth. And the superlatives used to describe him don't seem to fit that of a normal human being and include full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, and having the seal of perfection. So no human I have ever met has been full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, nor having the seal of perfection on them. So I'll give the Bible, Christianity.com, that description right there. Uh, This king was created by God in a perfect state and stayed that way until he fell in love with himself. Verse 17 says, (laughs) That sounds a lot like man. (laughs) Yeah. Verse 17 says, quote, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Lucifer apparently became so impressed with his own beauty, intelligence, power and position that he began to desire for himself the honor and glory that belonged to God alone. The sin that corrupted Lucifer was self-generated pride. And that's why he had to go. Uh, So the self-generated pride pissed off God and he threw Lucifer down to the earth. 
Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28.18 indicates that Satan was absolutely and completely cast out of God's heavenly government and his place of authority. The Isaiah passages are about a similar situation where someone is cast from heaven after insulting God. And so at that point changes his name from Lucifer, which meant the morning star, to Satan, which means adversary. 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 But that's why sometimes the devil's known as the morning star. Hmm. It's the... Never heard the devil really? refer to as the morning star, but... Here's the devil's note hmm. back at you. There you go. <laughs> uh, it's the Isaiah passage that indicates his powers then became completely perverted. So that's kind of the origin story of the devil. <laughs> I thought you were going to go o- orgy story, oh, but okay. he's an OG thug. <clears throat> like I talked about ages ago in my exorcism story, one of the main groups that stand in opposition to Satan is the Catholic Church, and they take the view that Satan is a very real and living entity. Pope Francis really drove this point home when, in 2017, he felt he had to warn people that the devil is smarter than mankind, and so we should never try to argue with him. He told a press outlet, quote, he is evil. He is not like mist. He's not a diffused thing. He is a person. I'm convinced that one must never converse with Satan. If you do that, you'll be lost. He's more intelligent than us, and he'll turn you upside down. He'll make your head spin. He always pretends to be polite. He does it with priests, with bishops. That's how he enters your mind. But it ends badly if you don't realize what is happening in time. We should tell him to go away. So that was the Pope's hot take on the devil. Bad dude. Hot take. Thanks, yeah. Pope. <laughs> and that wasn't the first time he said something like that. In 2013, he told a crowd in St. Peter's Square that the devil often appears, quote, disguised as an angel and slyly speaks his words to us. So something to remember about the current Pope. The dude is a Jesuit and they are literally the, quote, defenders of Christ. And there was a martial component to that title when the order first started. So it's probably no surprise that, like, the Jesuits were on earth to defeat Satan in hand-to-hand battle if it came down to it. So it's no surprise that this is his take. Yeah. Uh, Pope Francis often talks about the devil in his sermons and homilies and on Twitter, because Twitter is now a thing we have to care about, apparently. With world leaders and religious leaders getting on that 2000s bandwagon. Jeez, man. 19 years too late. (laughs) We continue. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So in his uh, sermons and homilies, he'll refer to the devil as the Prince of Darkness, Satan, the Evil One, the Seducer, Beelzebub, and the Great Dragon, which sounds like a really good name for a band. The Great Dragon. Beelzebub, the Great Dragon. There you go. There's a metal band if I ever did hear it. So you remember a couple of years ago, the Pope was floating the idea about changing the words in the Lord's Prayer? No. I remember this, because uh, in the traditional version, it basically basically goes, Our Father who art in heaven, yada, yada, yada. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us those who... Lead us not into temptation. temptation but Oh, crap. See, yeah, I wasn't going to go there. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a Protestant thing, the Catholic Yes, I have to add it, though. (laughs) I even, I add it under my breath in Catholic (laughs) Catholic settings. Yeah. So, the way it's worded, it kind of sounds like it's God leading us into temptation and delivering us from evil. 
And so when the news came out that the Pope wanted to rewrite the verse, I was like, wait a minute. And then I was like, and I said, he's right. Like, when you look at it, like, as yeah. it is written, he's he's kind of right on that one. Uh, so he was suggesting that it be changed and worded so that it's the devil that leads us in temptation rather than God. And uh, the Pope blamed a poor Greek translation and was suggesting that his version would better reflect the intent. He said, quote, it's not a good translation. I am the one who falls. It's not capital H him pushing me into temptation to then see how I have fallen. A father doesn't do that. A father helps you to get up immediately. It's Satan who leads us into temptation. That's his department. So it took 2,000 years, but somebody finally pointed out the logic hole, and all of us Catholics were like, oh, you're kind of got right on that one. So there it is. As of yet, no changes have been made. <laughs> well, it's not going to be possible to change something that is so... Well, it's like the Canadian anthem. They want yeah. to change the words of that, right? I think they did. But... They officially did. But you tell my lizard brain who's had a certain set of words memorized since I was like four that it's changed. The lizard brain does not listen. Like I've been in, I've been in Ottawa 12, 14 years. I almost am forgetting the English middle part. Oh, I don't think at this point I could recite either of them in their full language, and I'm only able to do the bilingual one. <laughs> it's, And even that, I think at this point I'd have issues with some of it, just because I haven't actually had to sing it in a while. <laughs> but God Save the Queen, locked and loaded. <laughs> So the Pope is pretty clear about where he stands on things, but let's talk about some of the stories that circulate about why he might think as he does. Back to the OG source, the Bible. The first humans, according to the Bible, were Adam and Eve, and these were the first humans that interacted with Satan. God had only one injunction for the pair, don't eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge. But Eve, of course it had to be the woman, was tempted to do just that by your friendly neighborhood snake. And that snake, the devil. Uh, so the passage I found, now the serpent, the devil, was more cunning than any creature of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he, though an animal who could speak, said to the woman Eve, is it true that God said, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the serpent, the devil, said to the woman Eve, in dying, you shall not surely die. For God knows that it is the day you eat of it, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be like God, deciding good and evil. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. So basically, I was a precocious child and I asked my mother why you've got in trouble for eating fruit because knowledge is good. So even if she ate knowledge, why is that a bad thing? And my mother, no filter, said it was sex. She learned about sex and that's why God got mad. So maybe that was some effort to keep me from like being early sexually developed or interested? I don't know. Or maybe that was like the line she got from her mother to keep her early sexuality under wraps. I don't know. It's all a mess. At the end of it's the day. It's the Catholic of it all. It's the Catholic of it all. It's why I'm a ball of neuroses about sex. <laughs> it starts here, probably. <laughs> That's why all Catholics are a ball of neuroses true, true, when true. it comes to <laughs> True, true, true. Uh, other places in the Bible, uh, three out of the four Gospels agree. Satan tried his best to tempt Jesus. In the Bible, Jesus' mission to save mankind really starts with his baptism at the hands of John the Baptist. After that dunking, Jesus went into the wilderness of the Judean desert to fast and wander about for 40 days, kind of like a spiritual quest, if you will. 
while he was With out. some peyote so he could see a fox telling him what to do. I mean, if he had brought the peyote, it might have been a better trip. It did not sound fun. <laughs> while he was on this trip, Satan appeared to Jesus to tempt him with, quote, lust of eyes, lust of body, and then pride of life. So lust of eyes being materialism, lust of body being hedonism, and pride of life being egoism. Specifically, Satan basically dares Jesus to first create bread out of stones to relieve his own hunger, because he was fasting for 40 days, and Jesus told them that man cannot live on bread alone, so he wasn't going to do it. He then tried to get him to leap from a pinnacle and rely on angels to break his fall. When Jesus heard that, he told them that you can't just have faith in God, you need action to match your faith. And then he tried to get Jesus to kneel before Satan in return for all of the kingdoms of the world, but Jesus was already on that path because he was going to save all of mankind, so he didn't need what the devil was selling him that day. I'm just saying, this is what's in the book <laughs> and what the interpretation I reread this morning told me about. So Jesus doesn't fall to the peer pressure, comes out of the desert, and heads off to Galilee to start his mission to save mankind. But there's another instance of the devil on Earth. I just want to know... What those intervening years between baby Jesus in the manger and fasting Jesus? Uh, we know what they are. It's in Lamb, the Gospel According to Christ Childhood Pal by Christopher Moore. If you have not read it, you are missing out on a pure delight. I really delight. do have to read that. It is the best book I think I've ever read. So deliciously adorable and good. Uh, last Bible story, though it's not really a temptation story, the devil goes after Job in a big bad way. Extremely devout, Job would be a hard nut for Satan to crack. And in the Job chapter, two conversations between God and Satan are described, making it seem like they meet up for drinks because both of them start like this. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. So two conversations at two different times that start the same way. It's like they just like catch up. Hey, what you, what you been up to? Just traveling, you know, man. What are you... Just going through the hostels of, like, Eastern Asia. That's all. <laughs> very uh, Crowley and uh, yeah, uh, very good omens. Yes. So, in the second conversation, Satan accuses God of creating creatures that are as devout as Job for God's vanity, at which point he tries to shake Job's faith to prove his point, and big fishes come along. It's a whole thing. Uh, the long the short of it is it doesn't work. But these are examples in the Bible of times Satan interacted with humans. Let's jump forward a few millennia and a half, I guess, uh, which I tell you, it was hardest finding these stories, actually. So I have nothing on the Middle Ages or medieval times to relay, hmm. which I figured that's where it would have been heaviest. But like, well, I guess they were more in might not have been recorded. Might, I don't know. Well, I mean, witches were seen as tools of the devil. Yeah. But, so. like, actual devil, like, yeah. actual dude, it's a, it's a thing. Anyway, so my first story, outside of the Bible, uh, comes from Angus, Scotland, specifically Glamis Castle. Though it later became home to the Bose Lion family, which is completely unrelated to my story, just a fun fact, because the Bose Lion are the Queen Mum's family. Uh, I love the Queen Mum. Exactly. Again, completely unrelated to the story, just, uh, just throwing it out there. She was just the... Funnest alcoholic. Oh, so adorable. Um, so this castle, Glamis Castle, is thought to have belonged to the Earls of Crawford for a time. The fourth Earl was known as Earl Beardy. I'm assuming facial hair, but I don't know. 
Uh, Usually these last names were pretty indicative of <laughs> either like what you did, yeah. who your father was, some sort of... That's why I like to think that my ancestors were just like professional freeloaders. Yeah, yeah, of course. (laughs) So uh, our bud Beardy was home and playing cards with a friend on a Saturday night. As the clock ticked ever closer to midnight, a servant popped in to warn him that playing cards on the Sabbath was sacrilegious. The Earl brushed off the concern and said he would play, quote, with the devil himself. So the clock strikes 12, and what do you know? A tall man dressed all in black walks into the room where Beardy is playing and asks if he still needs a partner. Beardy had never seen this guy before, but figured, what the hell, and so they started up a game. A little while later, the pious servant heard a commotion coming from the room and checked on the Earl, only to find him fully engulfed in flames. The story became that the stranger was actually the devil, and Beardy was now in hell, forced to play cards until the revelation for playing cards on a Sunday. I think this might be a modern morality or old morality tale, if you will. You think? (laughs) Modern visitors to the castle report that you can hear angry feet stomping and loud swearing in the room in the west tower of the castle where the fatal card game is said to have been played. So next time we're at Glamis Castle, we have to check that out. Yeah. Next story. Picture it. Ex-estuary in Devon, England. The year is 1855. Residents in the area head outside on a frosty February morning to find a fresh blanket of snow on the ground. In that snow are what appear to be a track created by cloven hooves that stretched, depending on who's recounting the story, somewhere from 60 to 160 kilometers. So they followed it. Quite a long walk this creature took. Each hoof was about four inches long, three across, and were on average eight to 16 inches apart and they were mostly present in a single file. So if it was a horse, you'd expect to see two, right? More than 30 people in Devon reported seeing them, and a couple people in Dorset did too. Houses, river, haystack, and other obstacles were traveled straight over, and the footprints appeared on the tops of snow-covered roofs and high walls which lay in the footprints' paths, as well as leading up to and exiting various drain pipes as small as four inches in diameter. So Buddy just bombed on through, did not care what was in his way. (laughs) Just went for a walk. More than 200 years later, people still aren't sure what actually created them. But there are some thoughts. Some people think it was a hoax. Those people have no joy in their heart. (laughs) I'm going to go Chronicle of Narnia. (laughs) Ooh, Pan. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Others thought it was just a regular four-legged animal. And the report of it being a single file track was just wrong or misinterpreted. Others posited wood mice. Uh, When this particular creature leaps, they splay out their limbs in such a way that it can look like a horseshoe and would have left that impression in the snow. If it was wood mice, they were very ambitious going for a 60-kilometer stroll. (laughs) Especially since they're like... Itty-bitty. Itty-bitty. One theory was that... Like, they wouldn't have been going for a stroll. They would have been going for a giant game of leapfrog. Yeah. (laughs) Epic marathon style. Yeah. Uh, One theory was that an experimental balloon released from the Devonport dockyards was released with some shackles stuck to its mooring rope, which caused the prints in the snow, giving rise to the first time weather balloons was used as an excuse, question mark? I was going to say, why is it always weather balloons? Right, yeah. (laughs) In 1855, so the the same year that uh, this occurred, uh, the Reverend Musgraves wrote to the Illustrated London News that a couple of kangaroos had escaped from a local zoo, and he suspected them of creating the track marks. 
However, he very quickly admitted to making up the story to keep his parishioners from panicking over the devil being in the area. Fair enough, dude. Quote, I certainly did not pin my faith to that version of the mystery being the kangaroos, but the state of the public mind of the villagers dreading to go out after sunset under the conviction that this was the devil's work rendered it very desirable that a turn should be given to such a degraded and visited notion. And I was thankful that a kangaroo served to disperse ideas so derogatory. Very fancy way of saying I didn't want to deal with fear. And panic. Yeah. <laughs> well, because oftentimes with fear and panic like that, then it becomes a scapegoat. Yes. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, they're burning some... Women. <laughs> they're burning women. <laughs> with some cats who live alone. Oh. I would totally have been burnt at the stake so bad. I'm lippy. <laughs> I like myself the pharmaceuticals. I'd be so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be harvesting Belladonna <laughs> so you could sleep. <laughs> Uh, whatever it was, the Devon event wasn't the first time this phenomenon had been noted. The Times reported in 1840, so 15 years earlier, that among the high mountains of the elevated district where Glenorchy, Glen Lyon, and Glenorchy are contiguous, there have been met with several times during this and also the former winter upon the snow, the tracks of an animal seemingly unknown at present in Scotland. This is a really long quote. I'm jumping down. Uh, it's also been observed that its walk is not like that of the generally uh, generality of quadrupeds, but that it is more like the bounding or limping of a hare when not scared or pursued. This is not in one locality, only that its tracks have been met with, but throughout a range of at least 12 miles. Hmm. Other stories came out of the mountainous region in Poland, where the locals attributed it uh, to supernatural influences. And then footprints popped up again in 2009 in Girvan, Scotland, but uh, those have been attributed to an April Fool's hoax, and as they appeared on a golf course at a very fancy resort, I have to think someone was looking for some press. <laughs> and maybe drinking. A little bit. My next story. Have you ever heard of a gentleman called Springheeled Jack? No. This is a Victorian urban legend, and the story popped up all across England of the era, though it appears to have started in London. Before it was written down in the Penny Dreadfuls around 1838. Oh, Penny Dreadfuls were a real thing. I know. <laughs> uh, so before the first story appeared in 1838, the story of Jack suggested that he was everything from a mist to a bull to an imp. So nobody could really pin down what this guy looked like, and then somebody at a Penny Dreadful decided what he looked like and all of a sudden that was the image that everyone yeah. had so that enduring image is that of an inhumane like warrior in brass armor with sharp claws and this is where you're gonna have fun with the social media because there are some dandy examples of what jack looks like some real Yay. swishy looking ones <laughs> he is described as tall and having a thin build with bat-like wings pointed ears horns clawed hands a goateed beard beard, and wheels of fire for eyes that flashed in the dark nights. Yeah, not a, not a looker. As his name suggests, he was described as agile, and he could easily vanish by leaping over walls and rooftops and across hedges. And he had a penchant for hanging out in dark alleys and graveyards, and frightening people, but especially young women. Shocker. From the Vintage News, in February 1838, Jane Alsop was attacked by what she described as a devilish creature with fiery eyes and iron claws with which he scratched her before he leapt away into the dark night. Soon after, a girl named Lucy Scales and her sister were walking home through Green Dragon Alley in Limehouse when they, quote, met Jack. 
The sisters later reported that he leapt from the rooftop and spat fumes into Lucy's eyes, thus blinding her, only to peacefully walk away when her sister called for help. The same year, the Lord Mayor, Sir John Cohen, received a letter from a resident who reported an attack of the so-called Springheeled Jack. The Lord Mayor published the letter, thus triggering other frightened individuals to report their own beastly encounters with Jack. Uh, the article I was reading said he became like the Victorian boogeyman for parents. Like, if you don't behave, Spring Hill Jack's going to come get you and I'm going to let him have you. <laughs> uh, Jack was last reported seen in 1904 when he was alleged to have jumped over a building in William Henry Street in London. It has never been reported since. Hmm. So. My next story is about a gentleman known as Robert Johnson. Sound familiar? Vaguely? Mm, I'm not surprised. Uh, he was traveling through Mississippi and one night met a stranger at a crossroads. <gasps> the devil came down! They chatted for a bit and the stranger tuned Johnson's guitar for him, gave it back, and that made him famous. Johnson went on to become one of the most influential blues musicians of the 20th century, but like all the very best artists, his skills weren't recognized until after he was dead. He passed in 1938 at the age of 27, leaving behind some recordings of himself, and it was those recordings that made him famous. So why am I talking about Johnson? Well, he was inspiration for that 1979 cross-country hit, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. The story is the song... The story in the song is a retelling of the Faustian legend where someone makes a deal with the devil for fame, only to live the rough life and come to that fame after an early end, and then having to hand their soul over to Satan. As the AV Club puts it, where I found this article about it, the devil went down to Georgia breaks from that cautionary Faustian tale in a brazen, blasphemous way. Instead of once again outwitting sinful mankind, Satan gets his ass handed to him. Because in that song, it's a fiddle. And the fiddle player rocks it. It's a good song. If we yeah, weren't going to be liable for copyright, I'd play it. But <laughs> maybe throw oh, it on the Spotify list that we have going. <laughs> So my last story is a modern tale from Reddit. Uh, a lot of the stories about meeting the devil on Reddit are clearly fictional, but this one, maybe, maybe not. It's from the Let's Never Meet thread, which Allie is a huge fan of, and there's like an actual podcast of the Net Let's Never Meet thread. Ooh. Yeah, it's weird. So here's the story, and I'm just going to quote from the, I'm going to read the story. <clears throat> The author says, this was back in the 1990s. I was a single mom and picked up a Saturday night bartending job at a place that was off the highway on a frontage road, not immediately close to anything, but in between some pretty large towns in the affluent suburb north of Chicago. This place was hopping after work hours, but sadly not on Saturday nights, and I often found myself alone or with only a handful of customers. This particular night was dark, rainy, and a thunderstorm was raging outside. Not unlike our current conditions. Yes. In walks this rugged, handsome man, windswept blonde hair, crystal blue eyes, nice builds, and he sits at the bar. It's just the two of us, and I walk over to take his drink order. He orders, I make the drink, and he put two twenty-five on the bar. I hand him the drink and realize he didn't give me enough money, so I tell him that I need another quarter. The drink is two fifty. Mind you, we were alone in this good-sized bar. It's a dark night, and thunder and lightning are raging outside. It's not close to any other businesses that I could run to or where other people might be. And he looks me straight in the eye and calmly says, I'm Satan. Tell me what you really want. I can give you anything you want. What is it that you really want? At this point, I'm shaking on my shoes, not sure how I even mustered up a response. And I look back at him and I said, 
I want another quarter for your drink, and I want you to stop being scary. He gave me the quarter, downed his drink, and left. I had to close up alone, and believe me, I was on edge until the following morning. Didn't work there much longer after that. Seeing Satan was once... Seeing Satan once was enough. Let's not meet again. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. So that is my story about how pure evil can walk the earth. So yeah, that's it. <laughs> now tell me your bomb ass story that I've been looking forward to for weeks. So last year I did Ghosts Across Canada. This year I am doing Ghosts of the Tower of London. Yeah. London is my second favorite city. And if it wasn't so far away and it wasn't so expensive to get to, it would probably be my favorite. New York is both closer and easier to get to. But American. I know, but it's New York. (laughs) I love New York. Maybe when I go there again in the spring, I will do like a haunted tour and Mm. I'll do Haunted New York next year. Hmm. So, the Tower of London. <laughs> a building so old it would blow M from, and that's why we drink mind. Yes. Because she did, like, Dover Castle, and that was hard enough for her. <laughs> uh, William the Conqueror built a mighty stone tower at the center of London, uh, center of his London fortress in the, in around 1070. Mm-hmm. And it was awe-inspiring. Very tall, big. And, like, as William the Conqueror would need, reminding everybody of his victory. Yes. Because he was technically French. <laughs> yes. Uh, king, all the king, uh, many kings after Bill added to the fortress and is now, and now nearly a thousand years later, the tower still has the cas- capacity to fascinate and horrify. I was fascinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tower has a rich and complex history, having been the home to a wide variety of institutions, including the Royal Mint, the Royal Arneries, jails, Royal Palace, and even a zoo. Yes. Uh, it is the protector of the crown jewels, the home of the yeoman warders, and the pampered ravens. The tower now attracts over three million visitors a year. I was one of them. Mm-hmm. And you've been. Yes. I follow the Raven Master on Twitter. He's, he's funny. <laughs> also, pro tip, don't buy your ticket at the tower. You can get it at the tube station just outside. And you save yourself the crazy lines because very few people actually do that. Yeah, we bought ours, and we didn't have that. There wasn't that bad of a lineup, but we just got to go to basically Will Call. Right. So. I also showed up, like, as it was opening, because I'm a giant history nerd, so I didn't have massive crowds of people for the first hour, which was delightful. Just regular crowds of people. (laughs) Yeah, we just, we took a tour up the Thames, like a boat tour, and got off, uh, because it was part of our, like, hop-on, hop-off tour. Yeah, yeah, so... Uh, and here the ceremony of the keys and other traditions live on, as do the ghost stories and the terrible tales of torture and execution, which is what we're going to talk about today because it's Halloween. Woo! Fun times. <laughs> um, with all that history, it's no wonder that the tower is often considered one of, if not the most haunted place in the UK. Although I'm sure about other 40 other places, including the Shrieking Shack. That's a Harry Potter thing, but okay. <laughs> I was trying to work a Harry Potter reference. Well, you did. <laughs> I try to claim that title. But again, we're here for the ghosts. So first up is Thomas A. Beckett, the saint and martyr killed by Henry II's knights. 
Henry hoped that Thomas, a good friend, would help him bring some reform, including helping him with some church matters. When Thomas proved to be more loyal to the church and their archaic ways of doing things, and again, this was the 1200s, yeah. and he still thought they were archaic, uh, Henry famously muttered, who will rid me of this meddlesome priest? And was talking about him on a recent episode of And That's Why We Drink, and she didn't know who he was, and I was, like, yelling in my car as I was getting on the highway, I was too! rid me of this meddlesome priest! She was also talking to, like, Henry II, and I'm like, oh, this is hurtful <laughs> for my soul. Um, he famously muttered those famous words, a number of his knights, all whom have had his their own reasons yeah. for wanting Beckett dead, killed Beckett brutally inside the church and splattered his brains on the altered steps. But not that church. No. So how do you end up at the tower? So even though he was not killed at the tower... <laughs> okay. He was one of the first ghosts to be reported. When the inner curtain wall was under construction, Thomas seemed to be very unhappy about it and reduced the wall to rubble with the strike of his cross twice. Henry III, who was the grandson of Henry II, was having this wall built at the time. So, because he figured the ghost was probably pretty pissed with his family line, Uh because, you know, granddaddy is the one who killed him, Uh uh, or had him killed, Apparently. Uh, To appease the ghost, Henry III built a chapel in the tower for the archbishop. Mm. People believe that Becket was pleased with the construction of the chapel because he had no further interruptions of any work. Oh, convenient. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he was never spotted again. Just as a historian side note, they don't actually think that Henry wanted him dead because they did have a very good relationship. I know. It's just he got frustrated and said something in front of the wrong person. And then they just took it and went wild. And took it a little too far. Yes. Well, <laughs> Could have probably roughed him up a little bit first. It's like the bookie never kills you the first time. They always break your kneecaps or take off a finger. Like I said, the knights that had their own reasons yeah. for wanting Becca dead <laughs> killed him. And were looking to get favor from the king and thought he might have been serious. Yeah, He wasn't. <laughs> Yeah, the funny thing is, like, what they were fighting over, some of it was Henry II wanted a priest brought to civil court to be tried. Yes. But at the time, they had the right and the privilege of not being tried in public courts. Yes. But in canonical courts. Yes. And then that really wasn't a court. All they did was move Buddy. Yeah. The priest. Or find him, or if he had independent family wealth, and yeah. It was a Sometimes way to they walled them up. Yes. But it, it it was very easy for quite a few centuries to just claim that you had some connection to the church. And if you could pay someone in the church to say that for you, you got yourself out of a lot of stuff and got remanded to the bishop's courts. And then you just paid a little bit more and you got to go home. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, Henry II really wasn't a big fan of the church hiding no. their wrongdoers. No. Hey, we saw that. <sighs> Not that long ago with all these sexual abuse scandals coming yes, out. Yes. Where the church would just... Move them. Move them around. Hide them. So again, Henry II in about 1240 was having <laughs> these issues. Those issues, yeah. <laughs> with, with the Catholic Church. Again, we clocked those issues in the 70s and 60s. <laughs> Anyways, I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. We don't have the best track record. 
Uh, the Queen's House on Tower Green is the home of the resident governor and his family and is said to be the most haunted building in the entire tower complex. Major General Joffrey Field, who was resident governor of the tower from 1994 to 2006, once said that soon after they arrived in 1994, my wife Janice was making up the bed in the Lennox room when she felt a violent push in her back which propelled her right out of the room. Oh. No one had warned us that the house was haunted. Okay, come on. Again, you are in the Tower of London. No one has to warn you. Yeah, yeah. I could have told you that. Yeah, yeah. Um, no one had warned us that the house was haunted, but we then discovered that every resident had experienced something strange in that room. The story goes that the ghost of Ardella Stewart, this cousin of James I, who was imprisoned and possibly murdered in that room. Several women who slept there since have reported waking in terror in the middle of the night, feeling that they were being strangled. I'm going to nope the fuck right out of there. So just in case we made, this is again, the major general, we made it a house rule not to give unaccompanied women guests the Lennox room. So only unaccompanied male or male-female couples stayed in the Lennox room. Hmm. I wonder if the ghost is that of a man or a woman then. According to records... Ardella Stewart married the nephew of Lady Jane Grey, William Seymour. The marriage was thought of as a threat because it did not have the permission of King James I. Arbella was put under house arrest in Lambden while while her husband William was sent to the Tower. She plotted to get William released so that they could travel together to France. However, William missed the rendezvous and she set sail all alone, but she was quickly recognized and sent back this time to the tower, where she died in the Queen's house in 1615. William, on the other hand, made it to freedom. Of course. And it's again rumored that she was murdered. Again, the whole strangulation Mm. in that room. So it's like um, a repeating loop of the events and whatever woman happens to find themselves alone there is seen as Arabella. Got it. Yep. Huh. Awesome sauce. Yes. Remind me not to visit the warden of the tower. And stay in the Lennox room by yourself. There it is. Um, Let's face it, the most scary ghosts and demons are children. Of course. I mean, not just ghosts and demons. Like, just children in general are pretty terrifying, but continue. (laughs) Tradition has it that the rooms... So, we're going to talk about the boys. Princes. The missing princes. Ow! Sorry. Continue. <laughs> I don't know what I did, but that really hurt. <laughs> what could be sage in your house tonight? <laughs> so the boys in the tower are the missing princes. Mm-hmm. So they are. Uh, their father, when his their father died, the oldest would have become king. Right. So when he died, they the boys moved to the tower, awaiting the coronation of. The eldest son, as a child, he would have had uh, his lord protector, which was their father's brother, the right. duke, who turned out to be Richard the Third. Right. Richard seized the boys, and it is often thought of as having murdered them. Right. Because they know. just disappear from the historical record. Yeah. So he has them uh, declared illegitimate. So he becomes king, yes. and he basically crowns himself. 
at that time they go missing. Now, there are two thoughts to who killed them. Okay. Popular thought is Richard III. Mm-hmm. And then the other popular thought, which is where I sort of lean to, is that it was Henry Tudor's factions, especially followers of his mother, Margaret Belfer. Right. Because that would have two things, because it's a political game for these people, right? Yeah. It could have happened when they tried to, quote-unquote, rescue the, the boys. Mm-hmm. Also, that would have secured public hatred against Richard, but also very much secured Henry Tudor's claim to the throne. Right. Yes. Because it was at the end of the Lannister Plantagenet War of the Roses. Yes. York's. Edward, York's. Sorry. Edward the Fourth, I want to say, married Elizabeth Woodville, Woodville kind of on the sly. Yes. Which is why the boys were declared illegitimate. Legitimate. There was also some question as to whether or not Edward was legitimate himself, Cecily, whether or not, because she spent time away from her husband around the time she was pregnant, from what I've read. So, I don't, yeah. So, yes, Richard would have taken over the boys as... Lord like, Protector, because that's what yeah. uh, their father, the king, had set in his will, will and line of succession. Yes. Um, but he had them declared... He was not a fan of the Woodvilles. No. He had um, Lord Rivers, which was Elizabeth Woodville's father and her brother, imprisoned and then eventually killed around the same time as... The boys went missing. And she was locked up in Westminster? She, yes. She had... Uh, yeah, a sanctuary in Westminster? Sanctuary. She had sought sanctuary in Westminster with her children. Right. But there is some reason, because she was a smart lady. Right. Um, she did eventually let her other children... Right. Uh, ...out into the custody of Edward. So there's some uh, historians who argue that... If she really thought he had killed her sons, there's no way she would have let her daughters out of sanctuary. Right. Because she was smart and good at the game. She played the game well. Right. So, who knows what happened to the boys? No All we know is that they've disappeared from the historical record. record. Yeah. So, um, there are ghosts of children that are seen in the notoriously, quote-unquote, bloody tower. The ghosts of two young boys in white nightgowns are seen crying and holding each other in fright. Several witnesses of these sad apparitions try to comfort the children, but these witnesses are overcome with fright when the children back up against the wall and slowly disappear into the stones. You can also occasionally hear the laughter of children playing out on the greens. There's nothing worse than the laughter of children where there are no children. children. Yes. Um... Weren't they doing archival or not archival? What's the word? The Indiana mean, Jones of it all. Yes. So they were archaeological doing, work. Well, they were doing restoration work That's what on is. a stone staircase in the Bloody Tower and found the skeletal remains of two either children or small humans. Right. Those were given a proper royal burial in Westminster. Okay. This was before DNA profiling. Uh, so it's sort of assumed that they're the boys. Right. That they and they, you know, like, oh, look, we finally found the boys in the tower, but they can't prove it. Right. Um, and there's been lots of requests to exhume them to do some carbon dating to use some of the yeah, technology yeah. we have now. Because they found Richard just recently, they did. too, so they could compare DNA. If it's... And they found a 
long lost relative in Canada. That's yes. how they, uh, the mitochondrial DNA. DNA. Was yeah. So they could do that again with these boys now that they have like actual lineage. Right. Um, but they won't let them. Right. Be released. Sometimes it's better to have the, the, the legend than the truth. Yeah. So let's talk about the White Tower. That massive bulk of the White Tower, which is the one of the oldest parts, um, where prisoners were often tortured in its basement. The ancient passageways of the White Tower are supposedly haunted by the apparition of a white lady. Very common apparition. White ladies appear oh, everywhere. Everywhere. History. Yeah. Um, who is sometimes spotted waving at groups of children in the building opposites. Oh, boy. Also, uh, white gar- towers in the white uh, guards in the white tower at the entrance of the St. John's Chapel have complained about being suddenly engulfed in the stench of quote unquote cheap perfume that comes out of nowhere and is so strong that it makes them gag and feel sick. Rude. Maybe she liked the scent. I don't know why it makes it cheap either. <laughs> uh, in the gallery, again in the white tower, Henry VIII's armor stands, which yes. I do have a picture of that. Uh, guards have reported that a terrible crushing sensation suddenly overcomes them when they go into that room mm. and does not lift until they manage to stumble out of the room. Mm. One night, a guard who was patrolling the White Tower went into that room and then felt as though a heavy cloak had been thrown over him. He then felt as though it was being pulled from behind by a phantom assailant and tightened around him his neck, sh- starting to strangle him. The guard managed to fight free of his invisible bonds, and then he managed to escape back to the guardhouse, where his colleagues could see he actually had marks on his neck. Wow. That fitted his ghostly tale of terror. Are they suggesting it's related to the armor of Henry VIII? Yeah, so it's only... Because I'm trying to figure out why. Probably because he was an asshole. Well, yeah, but as far as I've never heard of any sort of assassination attempt on him, especially not with a... Like when but you first crushing? Said, like, crushing, I was thinking like jousting. When it, it, he wasn't injured, that, well, maybe. But I was thinking like he did fall off his horse. Yeah, but that was a leg injury. But what I was thinking was that armor was from later in life, so it was very large. Mm. So it's the crushing sensation, like the weight that he would have felt on his chest, and like the inability to draw full breath. Like, is that what that is? He was also very fat. Well, that's what I mean. Like you're yeah. so big, like your fat impedes the the operation yeah. of your organs. But then this whole, like, choke from behind thing came along, and I'm just like, I don't know what's happening now. <laughs> but maybe it's just a residual bad energy, bad jube-jube. From that, like, someone, like, thing else. Like, someone else got attacked like that way, and that maybe... Or just a demon that likes to fuck with people. Andy, because... I demand answers. Because, again, he was an <laughs> asshole and probably attracted some asshole energy. Uh, also in another part of the tower, the I love how this referred to him as weak and ineffectual monarch Henry the Sixth was murdered in the Wakefield Tower. Again, rude. <laughs> Probably true, but still. <laughs> I mean, at this point, he was sort of unstable, but also horribly inbred as they all were. So that's yeah. bound to happen. Flippers and all. <laughs> Um, he was murdered in the Wakefield Tower towards midnight on the night of May the 21st in 1471. Supposedly, he was kneeling at his prayers, and it was believed that the knife that killed him was wielded by the then Duke of Gloucester, who went on to be King Richard III. Right. Because, again, 
Henry VI had to die in order for Edward, Richard III's brother, to become king. Right. Or to become, have a really strong... Claim to the throne. Claim to the throne. Every year on the anniversary of his death, Henry VI's ghost is said to appear just before midnight and wander mournfully around Wakefield Tower, only to disappear when the last chimes of the clock ring out as night as midnight fades away. I actually have a spot where his altar was. A picture of that, too. See, here's where I have problems with the stories of the tower, because like, there's a bunch of them that say, like, on the anniversary of their death, these people pop up. Fun historical fact. In 1753, the British Parliament passed an act that added, no, took away nine days from the calendar year to bring it in line with the calendar in the rest of Europe. So... Well, these anniversary dates, is it the calendar date that they pop up on? Do they pop up nine days before the original count? Like, where are they falling on that? And also, let's face it, the recording of time in that period, probably not too sharp. Might have missed a day here or there. Although okay. usually when the monarch dies, they're pretty tight on that date. But yeah, the tower especially has a lot of these on the anniversary of stories. Yeah, we'll talk about that too. And I'm always wondering, like, plus or minus nine days on that. <laughs> <laughs> so here's some random ghosts the elegant uh, phantom of sir walter rowley has oh. been sighted several times by guards on duty in the byward tower wandering around the rooms where he was incarcerated for several years in the early 17th century sir walter spent two terms in the tower <laughs> popular guy <laughs> he was imprisoned by elizabeth the first for yeah. do you remember why he married without her permission, right? Yes. yes. He married in secret without her permission, one of her ladies in waiting, because he she he was one of her favorites. He flattered her. Yep. She was a ridiculously vain person. Yes. So to see him actually marry one of her beautiful young ladies in waiting just put her over the edge. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but he did not die that time. He went on to do various things, mm -hmm. lead uh, expeditions, expeditions the to the New World. And in one of these expeditions, a Spanish town was burned to the ground and people were murdered by his son and someone else in his sort of team. And James I... Didn't mm -hmm. like Walter Raleigh all that much anyway. Right. And since Raleigh tried to defend his son's choices, James I tried him for treason and crimes against the crown and killed him. Beheaded him on the Torius Hill. James was also Catholic and they would have been having a rapprochement with Spain at the time and France, but most particularly Spain. So, Yeah. <laughs> was probably more than just a little bit of... The, the personal dislike might have been the yeah. the seed, but even if he had been under a privateer's license when he did it, there was enough excuses for James to get rid of a very strong Protestant noble. Uh, but wasn't James also Protestant? He was born Catholic, raised Protestant. I thought he was secretly Catholic, though. Because he was, was the like heir James to... James Charles, James Charles, and the, the last ones are Catholic. Because the one who lost his head was Catholic. Yeah, but... Well, like, cause he, Protestant in name only type of thing. We're going to have to cut this out. <laughs> this is not interesting to anybody. <laughs> um, 
So again, he serves two terms in the tower, and the last one is when he lost his head. Random ghosts. So in 1817, the keeper of the crown jewels was having dinner with his family in their rooms in the Martin Tower. His wife suddenly cried out, and he turned to see a strange object resembling a glass tube containing what appears to be an effervescent blue liquid floating in the air beyond the dining table. Hmm. This strange cylindrical object then started floating around the room and came to hover behind his wife. She cried out that it was trying to grab her, so he threw a chair at the object, (laughs) but the chair went straight through it without causing any damage. The spooky object then faded into the background and disappeared. Hmm. Nobody knows what it was, why. Random ghost. Slash peyote. (laughs) Again, so many bad things happen to the tower. If you believe in this sort of stuff. Yeah. Just things are going to migrate there just because of the jupe-jupe. Like, it just the energy it's the energy given off like it's a beautiful place and i was fascinated by it but there are certain places where you just get a bad feeling yeah yeah i have to go through my books like my childhood books because we were there when i was like really 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 little and my parents bought me like a um a visitor's guide and like i grew up with it and i was constantly flipping through it and i loved it so much and i think it imbued a lot of my love of history. I need to find it for your girls. So they have that. Yeah. And then we'll get them to St. Andrews. (laughs) That's my goal for your children. (laughs) So there, we do have a couple of ghosts from the Royal Menagerie. Yes. (laughs) The Tower of London used to be home of the Royal Menagerie, where the English monarchs kept lions, leopards, monkeys, bears, and even at one time an elephant in a very, very, very small space. Yeah. I also have a picture of that. PETA was not on track at that point. Maybe I started on PETA. (laughs) So it's only fitting that there's uh, also stories of ghostly animals in the Tower of London. On On one January night in 1815, one of the guards saw a bear coming out of a doorway from the jewel room. He trusts He thrust his bayonet at the huge animal and was astonished when the bayonet again went straight through the phantom without hitting solid flesh or causing any damage. I would like to amend your story to say after he messed himself, he threw his bayonet, (laughs) thrust his bayonet through the bear. (laughs) The guard was later found in a state of unconsciousness and was said to have died of fright less than two months later. Oh no. (laughs) Well, to be fair, if you see a bear moseying around where it shouldn't be. And it's a ghost? You're probably... Ghost or not, if you see a bear moseying around. We're just in the middle of London. You got issues. <laughs> so Tower Green, we assume because the tower has this long bloody history, that there's lots of people who died inside of it. There is some, but not as many as you think. As you well know, you love history and British history. So the Tower Green is where the privileged few were executed, away from the jeering crowds of Londoners who would gather there to watch executions of traitors and criminal. Those would happen in Smithfield or on Notorious Hill. Yeah, the church right behind the tower. Yeah. There was a space back there. For the, yeah. yeah. For the probably higher ups, but not but quite. But not quite, yeah. Yes. Many of those who were executed on Tower Green were women, including several queens, Queen Anne Boleyn, Queen Catherine Howard, Lady Jane Grey, all met their deaths on the scaffold at Tower Green, and their tragic ghosts are said to regularly return to the spot where they met their end. 
So, and now we are going to talk about these women. Because I thought that this would probably take the most amount of time. <laughs> so we will start with... Sorry. Lady Jane Grey, the Nine Days Queen. The most shit ticket person in the world. Like, she got a shit ticket out of life. Oh my god, did she ever. The worst. <laughs> she was a lady born of noble birth. She was the granddaughter of Henry VIII's sister. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you're born into this family. It's chaos from day one. Yes, because your parents, again, married without the king's permission. And so we're on his shit list for quite a while. Yes. We're ejected from court. Yes. And her mother married a very ambitious man. They had three daughters, Lady Jane, Catherine, and I don't remember the third daughter. I think you missed a generation there. Her sister married without permission and pissed off Elizabeth, and I thought her name was Catherine, but maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, her sister also spent <laughs> some time in the tower, but did not die there. Got it. Uh, Lady Jane was killed by Mary after being convinced and not wanting at all to take the throne after the death of Edward, Edward, who was Henry VIII's only son, child king, and a puppet. Sickly, too. Yeah, sickly, not all that bright. Well, he was a kid, like he had no... Yeah. Um, and easily puppeteered by his people who convinced him that he should try to rewrite the letter or the line of the succession that his father had set up. Because if he died, which we all, everybody knew he would, because even he did, I think, because he was very sickly, um, that Mary would become queen and she was a Catholic and that would put Protestantism back years and that she would burn all the protestants that part spoiler alert she tried it yeah <laughs> uh she tried to burn a lot of and she did burn a lot of protestants um so he was convinced to put his cousin lady jane on the throne or on the line of succession after they attempted to get them to marry and that didn't work she was married off to another noble family Dudleys, I want to Yes, say? the Dudleys. Um, because that strengthened her father's plan to put her on the throne. So when the king died, Lady Jane Grey was quietly and quickly proclaimed queen. They tried to capture Mary. Mary was too slippery for them. She ended up in nine days coming into London and taking the throne back her rightful place. She first just imprisoned Lady Jane Grey. She really didn't feel the need to kill her at that time because, again, she kind of felt bad for her. Well, there's a recognition that it wasn't her. Yeah, she didn't want this. Lady Jane didn't want this. And I think Mary just felt bad for her because she Mary had been a pawn and a puppet in political games of intrigue for her whole life. Yeah. Things went sideways, however, when her father, when uh, Lady Jane Grey's father decided that he was going to try to take another political coup 
and put his daughter back on the throne with the help of the Dudleys. That is when Mary decided that Lady Jane had to go because she was too much of a threat for the Protestant contingent. So Lady Jane was imprisoned again in the tower, as was her husband and father and his father? Mm, no. Yes. Because his brother was Elizabeth's father? Yes. Okay. Yes. Her father was also finally imprisoned. Yeah. And killed in the second coup. Yeah. yeah. Did she even leave the tower? She never left the tower. He did. Her father got off. Oh, yeah. But I mean, like, between the first... No, she did. Yeah. Yeah. She She stayed in the tower. Yeah. Uh, Her... The men in this story were... Killed rather brutally. Well, yeah. Drawn, Drawn quartered. And then... Quartered sent to the four corners of the kingdom to show what happens to the traitors. Yes. And then his body was wheelbarrowed underneath her window. Sweet. So that was one of the last images she saw. Kindly. (laughs) Yes. So she was killed by beheading. Shortly thereafter, the poor girl. So uh, Lady Jane's ghost has been seen uh, a number of times. Most uh, often told is the story from 1957 on the anniversary of her death. Plus Again, or minus nine days. <laughs> by two of the guards who described her as a white shape that formed on the battlements. The wrath of her young husband. Uh, a wrath of her young husband, Wraith? Guilford. Wraith? Yes, thank you. Uh, of her young husband, Guilford, was also seen sighted crying in the Belle Champ Tower. So both shapes of these torn apart lovers. Nah. The Helena Bottom Carter Carrie Lewis movie makes them seem like they loved each other. But I don't think they really did. No, it was a dynastic ploy. Also, he was not very bright. And cruel, from what I understand. Yes. Uh, but also, I think at that age, seeing your husband's. I don't. Did they even consummate? Like. I don't know. Husband is what they keep calling him. I would like to point out that Helen Bottom Carter Carrie Ellis movie bomb Sunday afternoon watching well worth the time. <laughs> so her ghost is seen a number of times. Her ghost is seen uh, and his ghost is seen also crying in the tower. <laughs> there is a carving of the name Jane in one of the tower walls and it's attributed to him. Although, who knows? Also, I did not know until I did my tour that like there's some really intricate carvings mm-hmm. in some of the rooms that like the higher up people would have been imprisoned in, but it wasn't them who did it. They actually hired <laughs> stonemasons to come in and do the graffiti for them. Oh, there you go. Yeah. It was a different type of prison. <laughs> um, probably one of the most brutal ghosts and ghost sightings is that of 72-year-old Countess of Salisbury, Salisbury who was executed on Tower Green in 1541. Cardinal Pole's mother. Yes. Who was also a very good friend of Catherine of Aragon. Yes. And a claimant to the throne through the... Plantagenets. Hey, there it is. <laughs> she was the last Plantagenet. Her brother was killed by Henry the Sixth 
in order to secure the marriage of Catherine and his son, Arthur. Right. Because Isabella and Ferdinand would not confirm the marriage of the Infitata of Spain to the son until the line of succession was secured. Yep. And he was the last Plantagenet son. No, uh, well, she had a son. Yes, but he was... These were, they were teenagers at the time, so it was her brother. Okay, I see. Yeah. yeah. So she was... She also would not um, say that Henry was the king uh, or head of the church. Yeah. So he had a lot of issues with her. Well, her son was literally a cardinal, so... Yeah. <laughs> she made choices. <laughs> she was... Uh, like I kind of picture her, from what I've read, as this, like fiery ass no bullshit lady who had like Maggie Smith in mm. Downton Abbey like right. she just wasn't putting up with shit right. so she was executed on Tower Green in 1541 but apparently she refused to lay her head on the block and was hacked to death by the executioner yeah. Because she wouldn't stay still, so she ran around, and he had to run after her and hack her to death. Oof. Again, pretty grisly. Her ghost is suppo- supposedly returns to the Tower Green on the anniversary of her death and reenact her grisly end, being chased around the scaffold by an axe-wielding executioner for eternity. So you see her running around being hacked to death. So, first of all, not just like reading the room and knowing it was going to happen regardless and just like giving in petty move Two, coming back yearly to remind everyone of that fact ultra petty and i love it <laughs> again that's why i say she sounds like she yeah. was giving no shit yeah and she was she was pissed because it was henry again a lot of these deaths have a lot to do with henry oh yeah the eighth or henry the second uh, and then last but not least, probably the most famous ghost of the Tower of London. Um, Catherine Howard is also spotted a lot, and I forgot to include her, but... Uh, She's kind of milk toasty, so, like, she... Meh. I just forgot about her. <laughs> um, but, of course, the grand dame of all ghosts of the Tower of London is Anne Boleyn course uh she was so some of the most famous sightings of her were back in 1864 by a military man general dundas who saw anne Boleyn in the form of a ghostly white figure she was moving towards a guard feet not touching the floor in the courtyard of where she was kept prisoner before she was killed the guard thinking she was real charged at her with his bayonet (laughs) this is a trend we need to discuss de-escalation. <laughs> Always should be the first goal. <laughs> uh, he charged at her with his bayonet in an effort to ward her off, but of course this was no avail, and he ended up charging straight through her ghost. <laughs> Realizing that he'd seen a ghost, the, um, the guard promptly fainted. <laughs> the military court-martial wanted to charge Ooh. the guard with fainting on duty and abandoning his post, but he was actually saved by his general Dundas, who testified at his trial. Now, some uh, stories I've read about this was 
the reason he fainted was not just because he realized it was a ghost, but as he was going through her, he realized she had no head, like she had a bonnet on, but it was just a black void. void. So that is actually a (laughs) fact that he ran through a ghost and realized she was headless was why he fainted. What year? 1968? 1864. 1864. Okay. Another story of the Tower of London uh, relates to a sighting at the Chapel Royal. A light was flickering inside one night, and whilst trying to find the source, the captain of the guard climbed a ladder to see inside. He was met with quite the sight as a procession of ladies and knights in sentrial dress parading through the chapel led by Anne Bolin. He recognized her after seeing her in paintings. Okay, well, there's like, what, one painting of her that's like widely known? And I mean, like, Come on. But again, I think if you're a captain of the Guard of the Tower of London, you're probably up on your English history. That's a big assumption. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, if I saw her and in my level of historical knowledge, I don't know if I could, like... Yeah, I know. Also, did she have her head? Jane, like, Catherine, like... Yeah, there's they way all too look many... the same in those paintings because all their hair is slicked back and they're wearing a hood. And they're painted white. Like yeah. the ghost of Anne Boleyn is also seen, said to have been seen walking through the church near the tower, down the aisles of the church towards her, toward her grave underneath the altar. It is seen that Anne is drawn to the tower, perhaps because it is the place where she perished, or perhaps because this is the place where she felt most betrayed. Or it was the place where she was happiest because she lived in the tower for a few days before her coronation. I was just gonna say, which she also wanted she, so goddamn bad. She got her victory and yeah. also got her end in the same place. Yes. So that is my stories of the ghosts of the Tower of London. I ha- did you watch the Sabrina reboot on Netflix? I have not. Uh, sorry, but there's one scene where they're like calling down past famous witches to like give them power in their spell and they name check Anne Boleyn and I was like you better watch it yeah that broad needs some rehabilitation on her name and doesn't need your bullshit rumor mongering coming back very disappointed with Netflix did you write them a strongly worded email maybe no (laughs) well I just think like poor Anne Boleyn uh I don't think I would ever attach poor to her name in a sympathetic way because she went about all that with like a very targeted action plan in mind and she just she got caught up and it like self-correcting no, no. problem <laughs> yes poor Anne Boleyn for a number of reasons but not that she did not cause a lot of this yeah. herself it was like two very bad personalities rubbing up against each other whatever they gave to each other they both kind of deserved yes <laughs> I just feel bad because she did have a lot of miscarriages, and that must have been very hard, especially when you knew that your life depended on you giving birth to healthy children. The same could be said for most women of the age, though. Yes, but most women of the age's husbands don't have a pension for divorcing or hacking off their wives' heads. If you were a royal, you were welcome to execute them. If you were a noble, you could put them away in a convent before Henry closed them all down. If you were a regular person, you were welcome to beat them with anything that was thinner than your thumb. But if you were smart enough and you were a regular woman and you outlived your husband, you could take over his job. 
In some professions. Some professions, yes. Some guilds allowed you to do that. But no, it's just, I, I kind of feel like, you know, the whore Anne Boleyn is just... Like, she actually didn't give it up to Henry until yeah. sort of the end. Well, at least they figure. Because I think he would have gotten bored of her had she actually, like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Jones. let him... Cross first home. Cross yeah. Home. <laughs> yes. if, he'd, if he'd let you... if. I mean, like, again, the Tower of London is not just where people die, but people were gruesomely tortured. Yeah, but people live there happily, too. Like, yes. all the guards in the barracks would have their families, some of them, and the, the wardens and all that. It's a, it's a place where it's really interesting because it has that, like, happy feel, but it also has that dark past where some of those places just feel yeah, I didn't, really creepy. I didn't pick up, like, a weird vibe when I was there except in the back corner in some of the smaller towers that are connected. Maybe it's just because, like, there wasn't a lot of people around. Like, I don't know, but I didn't feel creepy. I enjoyed the birds. They're, like, house cat size, attitude, packed <laughs> critters. Clipped winged ravens. Yes, because the story goes, if they ever leave the White Tower, then England will fall. Yes, so they the monarchy will fall. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a really neat place, but at the same time, there are certain places where you could be like, okay, bad things happened here. Yeah, like the Trader's Gate is not the friendliest part of the tour. I'll give you that. And there was... <laughs> didn't spend a lot of time in the basements either. It's more of I was in and out type of thing, just to say yeah. I could be down there, but... Yeah, no, we love the tower. That was a lot of fun. We spent almost a whole day there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just uh, somewhere that... I mean, all of these places, they're so old... They'll have ghost stories, especially somewhere that has as scandalous and as sordid history yeah. as, you know, the beheadings of queens and royals and... Yeah. Yeah. Roger. Well, that is my phone telling me it's nine o'clock and I need to go to bed. And that is our show for this week. Woohoo! We hope you enjoyed our spooky Halloween episode. Uh, if you would like to know more about the show, head over to our website, which is www.rabbitholespodcast.com. While you're there, check out the merch tab to get the link to our Redbubble store and our support tab to link to our Patreon page. If you want to reach out to us at the social media, you can find us on Twitter at rabbitholespod and Facebook at rabbitholespodcast page, Instagram rabbitholespodcast. If you like what you're what we're doing you can give us a rating and a review you could recommend us to your friends and family tell the whole world about us we a friendly neighborhood ghosts that you have kicking around yeah your house. you know maybe they would love to watch flintstones and listen to us chatter on about things Totes. <laughs> well that's it for us there's only one last thing to do and that's to remind you that if you don't know where you're going any road will take you there bye guys happy halloween